Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Dallas Mavericks podcast on the Podcast Athletic Network. I am Brian Damaris. He is Mark Followell, as always, joining me. Hello, Mark. Hello, Brian. How are you today? Excellent. Excellent. Even closer to resuming basketball. And of course, uh, if we're going to talk Mavs hoops, there's no better person to talk to than our A-list guest this week. Uh, your partner in crime on the Mavs broadcast and the host of the Ben and Skin Show on the Eagle from 2 to 5 every weekday, Jeff Skin Wade. Yes, indeed. You guys got to work together. Uh, he reminded us that, of that during our visit. Uh, you guys are partners for uh, one show. One, one game. One, one and game. And we were yanked <laughs> off the air on March 11th. So maybe that uh, partnership will come back again, but uh, the partnership is back in terms of uh, Damaris and Skin and Followell, the three of us together uh, with a chance to talk uh, many, many things uh, about the uh, restart of play, uh, about uh, social justice issues and the role that the Mavericks are taking in it from the perspective of not just Dallas, but around the country and being leaders in that regard. And so uh, a lot of ground to cover today with Skin, Brian. Yeah, really great to hear his perspective. And I encourage everybody to to really dig into it. Uh, we have a great long talk with him, and then we're going to be back after that with uh, the latest news and notes from around the league. So uh, let's get this again. All right, Brian, the uh, list of great guests continues. The unique thing about it is uh, I am going to be introducing this week's guest because I work very closely with this gentleman that we have on the phone today, Brian. Yes, you've complained about that for years to me privately. <laughs> uh, you weren't exactly supposed to say that since he's on the phone right now. Perhaps you just heard the laugh. And that is my partner on the Dallas Mavericks television broadcast, along with Derek Harper. That is the great Jeff Skin Wade, radio host here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for well over a decade. Currently, he and Ben Rogers host the Ben and Skin Show on 97.1 The Eagle, and he has been uh, part of the Mavericks telecast alongside Harp and I since, 2000, since January of 2009. Right, Skin? That's accurate. Yes. Well, thank Nailed you. It. Thank you for joining us here on 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Mavericks podcast on, on the Athletic Podcast Network, brought to you here on the Athletic DFW and uh, Skin. We are going to be back together again, working very soon after it all stopped unceremoniously on March the 11th, uh, July 31st or thereabouts. I don't know if the Mavs are going to play that day, but but they're close to it. We're going to start back to work again doing Mavs games. Actually, probably a couple of preseason games before that on Fox Sports Southwest. Uh, as you've watched the ebb and flow of this ride that we've been on, you know, from Adam Silver saying at the beginning, well, at least it's a 30-day hiatus to where we've been to where we are now. What have your emotions been like as you've watched this through the NBA lens of how they've navigated these unprecedented waters? Well, there, there's just so much to all of this, right? And I still think, you know, I feel like all of us are feeling safer every day, but there's a lot that we haven't figured out about this thing that pretty much shut us down for a couple minutes, but uh, a couple months. But I will say this: I will never, ever, ever, as long as I live, forget that night at the American Airlines Center. That was one of the craziest, really, couple hours because that particular night, uh, Dana Larson was not on the broadcast. And so I was kind of doing her job for pre and post. So I normally don't leave you guys at halftime, but that particular night I did. And I remember going up and doing the halftime segment with said. And by the time that I got 
from the set down to where we broadcast, news was starting to come out about not only the potential weirdness that was going on in Oklahoma City, but then suddenly Tom Hanks, it was reported, had coronavirus. And then there's a jazz player that we think that has coronavirus. And then suddenly, hey, it looks like the NBA is shutting the season down. And then it was, hey, we're the last game that the NBA is playing for who knows when. And then it's like, yeah, let's get Cuban's reaction. I mean, that whole 90 minutes from halftime till the end of uh the end of the night was just insanity. And I remember you reading the NBA statement and it was, uh, you know, it's the way we sit harp is in the middle and I'm on the edge and they come and put a camera in our face and you're, you're reading the statement. I just remember sitting there and I, I can't process it. I can't figure out what is happening in the world, but it feels chaotic and scary. And I just remember leaving the arena that night feeling about as uncertain about the future of, you know, the country or whatever as I've ever felt. It was just an incredibly surreal night. But uh, as all this has unfolded, I feel like the NBA has been very smart about all this. I trust the leadership of the NBA more than any professional sport. I think Adam Silver is a beast. I think the owners have been methodical about this. And there's a lot of different ways it could go. But what they've settled on uh, with this, uh, you know, eight games for the 22 teams and then playoffs and being able to end the season in mid-October. I, I don't know where you guys sit on this, but for me, under all the circumstances, if it unfolds the way we're saying right now, I think it makes a whole lot of sense compared to whatever the other options were. You know, Skin, you mentioned March 11th and the, the craziness and you hosting. Uh, I was on the pregame show with you for my first ever right. appearance on the yes. on, on the telecast. And I don't know if that had anything to do with, I guess, maybe the powers that be saw that I was going to be on the pregame or, you know, if I could make the, the, the show that it was time to shut everything down. But uh, maybe I'll I'm to blame. This. I'll say this. Uh, follow up. I don't know if you went back and watched it, but your boy Damaris was great on the pregame show. He delivered he the goods. Yeah, he well, did. He absolutely delivered the goods. You, and so you, much so that when it was over, it was like, oh, there's a guy that we can have back on the pregame or postgame show. That guy uh, was really good. You, you teed me up well. But, uh, you know, it's funny because, I listen, from my own personal experience, um, listen, we knew COVID-19 was something to take seriously. But I think, uh, really, it was Rudy Gobert and Adam Silver shutting the league down that not only made it real for the sports world since every league the next day shut down, but really for the nation because then it was, I think that Monday after that, that was a Wednesday, and the Monday after that was when Shelter in Place went in in Texas. And it was almost like when Adam Silver said, we're shutting down, and, and, and then the NCAA tournament canceled the next day and everything else, it, it was like the nation took it seriously. Yeah, that's a great point. And then, you know, I think the administration that runs our country started taking it uh, a lot more seriously and putting plans in place and implementing funding and all these different things. But uh, that for me, guys, uh, I had, you know, that was very nice of you to mention the Ben and Skin Show. We had just started at a new company. We hit the air February 10th, I think was our first day on the air. And so that Wednesday night, that's March 11th, by Monday, the Ben and Skin Show with our uh, you know our news guy KT and Christina Ray, our producer, we're coming up here 
to an empty building four days later. So we've been broadcasting from here the whole time, and we've been in an empty building. So, you know, we're wearing masks and we're wearing gloves, and, you know, occasionally there, we'll see an engineer on the, on the whole floor. Like, you'll be on the whole floor, and you might bump into one person, and it's an engineer, and you're staying away from him. So it went from that, the NBA sort of doing what you're talking about, Damaris, where they set a tone, a very serious tone, and then it's less than a couple of days and life is upside down and you really, we've never been through anything like this. So you're trying to make sense of it while you're trying to forge ahead like normal, but it's just impossible to do. Skin, you said something uh, a minute ago that I want to revisit an, an aspect of your first answer, and that says uh, you, you addressed how much you trust Adam Silver. And I think one of the things that's happened over this plan to restart the season is clearly Adam Silver has been every step of the way incredibly open with the lines of communication with the players. Uh, the head of the Players Association, Chris Paul, has had a very significant hand in terms of this plan to restart play in terms of developing it. Uh, Bob Iger, the head of Disney, who obviously, uh, you know, it's happening in Disney and they're a broadcast partner with ESPN's relationship with the league. So uh, I, I thought it was interesting your point about Adam Silver and what really makes things work from the NBA perspective. And I'm not making fun of baseball because they've got, you know, they're at odds, though, obviously, with ownership and players. But but the way owners and players appear to have worked together here on the NBA side, uh, you know, there's going to be some difficult things to come down the road. But in terms of this aspect of it, they've worked together just uh, amazingly well, haven't they? They have. And I'll say this. Uh, I, you know, Damaris has worked for a team in the front office. You and I work on the broadcast side. Uh, and I think part of the tail end of the pandemic is dovetailing into the horrible situation with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the reaction to that. And then people look to the sports world and then it becomes conflated with what it went on in the NFL and all of these things. And as all this chaos goes on, I think you guys feel the same. I take tremendous pride in being associated with this league. These sorts of things are very, very difficult, and you're talking about billions of dollars and headstrong people that are used to getting their way in the history of, the, of labor in terms of the players and how that works. And it, it reminded me of uh, when Colin Kaepernick first took a knee and there was all the reaction to that story. You know, he's a San Francisco 49er, and so that's happening in the Bay. And do you guys remember – when basketball season was getting going, when someone asked Draymond Green about that, do you guys remember what he said? I don't. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, and, and it, he's being asked because Golden State's in the Bay and all these kinds of things. And his phrase, his response is, I'm paraphrasing, was something to the effect of, our league is beyond that. Wow. He has to do that in that league because he's got to get attention. That's not the way our league operates. We're already about implementing programs in our communities. And, you know, Draymond's a brash guy, and, and there's a lot to that. But there's a lot of reality to that statement, where the NBA has far and away been the most progressive league in a lot of regards. And they've also, you know, there's always going to be odds between the owners and the players in any sport. That's always going to be a thing. But I just feel like, the NBA players are more invested in their league than other players are in their leagues. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of it is the leadership of the league understands the asset and the value of the players and how they are the league and how they should have 
some ownership in this league. And because of that, and I think also, guys, if you look at how Adam Silver handled the Donald Sterling situation, I, I just think that there's a feeling of the players in this league that the brass actually does care about them, uh, values them, respects them, and sees them as, as partners in this thing. And I think that's why when we have these incredible situations like COVID or something like that happening, they can work to a situation, even though there's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different people that want to do something different, they can work to an amicable situation because there's trust between everybody involved. And as someone who is so closely associated with NBA, it just gives me a tremendous sense of pride that that's what this leadership is. Yeah, and partners is a key word there. And it's not only the league, but re- really the Mavericks and, and Cuban have taken leadership. If you remember when you know the COVID-19 shutdown happened on March 11th, it was March 12th when Cuban, and he was the first one that I th- saw saying the arena workers are taken care of for the rest of the year. Don't even think right. about that. He's never once had a sniff of uh, pay cuts for anybody in the organization. Um, you know, he, he, he's been on the lead on that. And then even the first weekend after um, when the George Floyd protests began, you know, he's out there with several players uh, in a vigil. Uh, he had, you know, he started a conversation series with Sint Marshall and, and, you know, it's really, it, it, it's, it's comforting to know that you have someone who's not fearful of uh, backlash, but, you know, really doing what he feels is right. There was that uh, there was a thing that went on at the AAC and the uh, AT&T Plaza the other day, and it was called Courageous Conversations. And Mark Cuban addressed the crowd first. And uh, I follow Sean Marion on Instagram. I don't know if you guys do or not. But Sean Marion posted Cuban up there talking. You know, Marion's been out of the league for several years. It has been a long time since he's been a Maverick. But he still feels invested in this team, this community, and has a feels like he has a partnership with that owner for exactly what you're talking about, Brian. I mean, how many former players are posting Instagram videos of their former owner of their team talking? You just don't, you don't see that kind of stuff, but for all the, you know, whether it's criticisms or people talking about, well, you know, Cuban needs to do this or do that, or here's tradition, you know, the guys that have been through this organization feel differently than I think people on the outside understand. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about. They feel that. You know, w- one of the things, look, I, I knew this about Mark, and, and I've said this before, and as a matter of fact, I said this on the podcast last week, is that Mark takes tremendous pride in the community aspect of the Mavs. And so what's happened with COVID, what's happened in light of the George Floyd protest and the leadership role he's taken, and I brought this up last week, but I've been thinking about it even more since then. I think Mark understands and is and is behaving and is demonstrating this with his actions, guys, that, you know, if the community is going to rally around you and they're going to support you and have a huge parade that the entire town is going to be there for when you're doing something good as a team like the Mavs winning a championship, of course, then that means when your community is going through a hard time. And obviously on a number of fronts, our community has been going through a hard time here as of late, both from, from uh, a public health issue and then from protest and uh, social justice issue. Uh, if you're going to be there and get the parades, then you damn well better be there as a leader in the community and trying to help your community heal and doing what you can do to be a part of 
fixing the problems and being part of the solution. And I think Mark's always gotten that, but we've really seen Skin and Brian, a, a, a display of that here in the last few months. Have we not? Well, I, I think we absolutely have. And you know, Mark, as you're heading down that path with that question, one of the things that I can't help but think about is just how uh, woven into the identity of this franchise that Dirk Nowitzki is. And it's such a unique, we've talked about it many times, man, the podcast you guys did about a month or so ago where Dirk popped on uh, and Dirk is always great, but the stories that you guys told after Dirk was on, I felt was just as compelling. I really enjoyed, you know, you guys have had such long relationships with, and I enjoy hearing those stories, but Dirk's commitment to the community, the community that raised him. Right. And I think for a lot of people, it's all, it's been said and most people agree Everyone wanted once their hometown team to win a championship, but more people were were genuinely wanting Dirk to win a championship as opposed to quote unquote the Mavericks, right? I mean, there was just so many people that were invested in him, and he reinvests back into the community. The fact that he is truly his family is truly a global family, and they're staying here. And you know, whatever you want to say about Texans, man, there's just a loyalty of of the community, the, te- the people that live in Texas, how they feel about their community and how they feel about the stars of their community. And when those stars reinvest back into that community, you ain't ever going to let them go. And so when Cuban is representing the team in the way that he does, I can't. And by the way, Cuban's, you know, from Pittsburgh, went to college in Indiana, but he stayed down here. Right. I just can't help, but think about part of that being the way, you know, our all-time favorite Maverick and who in a lot of ways is the identity of the franchise has reinvested back into that commitment. And you guys know firsthand the financial commitments that he has made to this community and the things he's done for charities in this community and the street is Nowitzki way out in front of that. In my mind, all of that works together, right? Cuban's commitment, Nowitzki's commitment, the, the, the direction the team is going right now, the pride people feel about the team, where that arena is located. There's just all of those things work in concert. And I think it's really easy for people to get, you know, in line with all of that because they feel the realness of what that is and what it represents. People are, are connected to that. You know, what really struck me about what Dirk did, and it was great to see him and Devin Harris and Jabal Mosley and others uh, in Deep Ellum doing some cleanup. Uh, was was his statement and how it wasn't, I mean, you could tell that's something he wrote. That wasn't corporate speak. That wasn't a PR firm. You know, a lot of these corporate statements you see from teams are, are well-crafted, but it was just this real humanity about him talking about fearing, you know, what the future holds for his children. And, and I think that is what we love about him is that he's just not afraid to just bear who he is. And and just be real and not be afraid to just be completely transparent with, you know, a city that he loves and that loves him back. Yeah, and I, and I think that it's just it's just so rare that your best player in the history of your franchise is that kind of a person, right? I mean, I think a lot of us feel that way, especially guys our age group, uh, you know, feel that way about Roger Staubach, for example. But it's just such a rare combination. And, you know, you alluded to it there, Brian, when he, there's just a, a authenticity and genuineness to what he does. There's just no BS, you know, it's, it's all laid out before you. And, and it, this is well chronicled. Uh, but the fact that we saw 
someone with a high degree of excellence have these public failures made us more invested in him, right? And that that uh, you know underscores that idea of realness and and, and authenticity, and and so it's you know again we're we're kind of hitting on these same ideas, but I just have a degree of pride with being associated to this league and this franchise. And I think another great example of that is, you know, when that Sports Illustrated article came out, uh, that was gutting. That gutted a lot of people. Uh, so what did the Mavericks do? They brought in Sint Marshall immediately, and what a perfect choice she is and what a rock star she is. She was brought here for different reasons, and now we're here at this point in time and look at what she's doing and leading the way. And, and her and, and Mark working together is a really great thing that I think Maverick fans can be really proud of, that that is what is representing your community in that way. Well, as a matter of fact, Skin, I love your podcast with her that uh, that that came out last week. Uh, I, I said on Twitter when I got a chance to listen to it that, uh, you know, th- this is a podcast that you need to make quiet time to be an attentive, active listener to uh, your two-part podcast that you recorded with Scent last week with Scent Marshall. Uh, in light of the George Floyd protest and the situation and so many things that she had to say. And so I would encourage everyone to listen to it. Uh, and now I'm going to encourage you as the person who was interviewing her. Can you can you share some insights with uh, just uh, how you felt doing it, what it was like? Uh, you know, take us behind the scenes of just what that experience was like, because it would look it, it's amazing to listen to. But I'd like to hear the perspective from the perspective of the interviewer there y- yourself. Yeah, well. Well, first of all, thank you for, uh, you know, hyping it up. I saw your tweet and I retweeted because that made me feel really good. Um, you know, we're at this moment where a lot of people, you know, you just feel like you want to do something, right? You, you got to do something. We've all got to do something because uh, it's just, it just feels overwhelming. And so as, you know, teams were figuring out what statements they were going to release and what they were going to say, you know, the Mavericks were very focused on making sure that there were actions to go along with the statement. Um, and so that was the way that they viewed this thing, uh, how to approach getting the message out. And so one of the things that, you know, a thought that came up was, well, here's another thing that can go along with the statement. Here's another action. And that is encouraging people to uh, look at this in a way that they never have. And, Part of that is, you know, I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, especially white people, it, it's there. This is this is a time to really like shut up and and listen and then reevaluate how you feel about things, because uh, we've tried. all. The, I don't even know that we've tried other things. It's, it's absurd that this is happening to the degree that it's happening. And it's just kind of that moment where it's like my God, how did we get here? How did we allow this to happen? And so in order to move forward as a country, and I mean, nobody wants to see their cities burn down or their law enforcement do these things to unarmed citizens. This is, this is the exact reason, you know, there, I thought that there was an amazing um, symmetry or significance to the fact that what happened to George Floyd happened on uh, Memorial Day, where people are, paying tribute to people who have given their lives up to protect the kind of freedoms in which you don't have a situation in your country where the government is turning on its unarmed citizens, which is what we watched. And it's like, okay, these people are, we don't want them to die in vain, right? We, we have this day to honor them. 
So we honor them for all of our citizens. That's what the whole idea of this is. But we are not executing this. This is not the way it's applied. And so I just feel like there was this big wave of people who have good lives. Um, they have good jobs or kids go to good schools. And so they don't engage in stuff. And I think for the first time in a long time, people are wanting to engage in stuff, but they don't know how. And so if there's people like Scent that can tell you how to engage with this stuff, because she is a very comforting presence for all people, all different kinds of people. She has a way of saying things that help you understand and really get to the heart of a matter, uh, whatever that matter is, whether it's gender equality or racial equality, all kinds of different stuff. And so the idea of that podcast was to get people who were starting to engage for the first time ever in a way that they hadn't to hear from somebody that is not going to divide them because so many voices that are speaking use this rhetoric of division. So the people that need to speak need to be people that are speaking to everybody in the same way, uh, even though we come from different perspectives. So the idea of the podcast was to just sort of set up these uh, different scenarios that she could speak on and give people things to think about. And so she uh, let us come over and because we're socially distancing, the best way to do it, quite frankly, was in her backyard. Um, because as you guys know, she's a cancer survivor and she's in the age group where we get, we need to be really careful with COVID with her extra careful. So we did it in her backyard. We socially distanced and we talked for what ended up being about an hour and a half. And then listen to this. Here's some uh, thing that really grabbed me. Uh, after we were done recording, we, we stood there and talked another 20 minutes. And my favorite thing that was talked about, uh, follow well, you and I were texting about Killer Mike about a week or so ago. And if you don't know Killer Mike, he's an Atlanta rapper. He's in a group called Run the Jewels. Uh, his father is an Atlanta police officer. He is a small business owner. Uh, he's very politically engaged. So he's one of these guys that is, you know, talking to a lot of different diverse audiences that come from different backgrounds and they're all listening to him for different reasons. He's a staunch second amendment guy, which a lot of people might not think, but he's got his reasons, right? So he speaks to a lot of different people that are divided for a lot of different reasons. And I listen to him for that reason, because there's not one singular agenda. And one of the things that struck me is after the, you know we did the podcast with Sent, she was talking about her nephew who had a corporate job. Uh, he was in his, I think he was early thirties and he was, he had a corporate job in Chicago and he was like, man, I'm not doing anything for my community. So he went back trained to be a police officer and is now working in the Bay as a police officer. And she was so proud of him. And she was talking about, not only did he do it, but four of his ex-college teammates did it. He was a college athlete. And they all changed the course of their corporate life to engage in their communities. And that's one of the things that's more important right now than anything ever is engagement in your community. Starting there, having people get familiar with one another in their own community and growing from there. And that, to me, is is extra powerful to listen to her because – when you're coming from the standpoint right now, it's being painted as a war between African-Americans and law enforcement. Well, what if you're an African-American in law enforcement? Now, what are we talking about? Now, what's that perspective? And so when people are engaged in that intimately, 
I want to hear from them more than I want to hear from anybody else because we're all wanting solutions out of this. And it's a massive problem. There's a lot to tackle. And so as I would encourage people to come from my perspective, you know, I'm white upper middle-class guys. Um, I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed. I've had tons of opportunities that I quite frankly didn't earn at first. Um, and so if you're in my category, this is a time to engage like you've never have before because there is, in my opinion, there is nothing wrong with feeling guilty. There's nothing wrong with reexamining your situation. You're not being accused of anything other than being a part of the same system that oppressed other people. We're a part of that system too. We're not, we're not part of some, you know, uh, separate secret sect that is creating these plans to oppress people. We're in the same system. We're just the ones getting benefits from it. So don't feel like you're being attacked. Don't feel guilty for not being more engaged. Now is your opportunity. You can't change anything that's already happened, but you can change what happens from here on out. And in order to change, you have to engage and you have to engage willingly, not be defensive. And and this is an opportunity to really learn and try to figure out what we want this country to be, because I think most people believe in the same kind of ideals. We've just run this thing into the ground and now we have to get it started again. Awesome stuff, Skin. And I, I know Brian has a question for you, but to back up something that you said about Scent and just to speak from my own personal perspective about what kind of person she is, just a very quick story. Uh, as Brian knows, and as you know, Skin, and I think, you know, uh, at least some of our uh, podcast view listeners and Maverick TV viewers and Twitter followers of mine know, know, on October 20th, Jennifer and I, my wife Jennifer and I, our house was hit by the tornado that came through Northwest Dallas. And so uh, about... 36 hours after it happened, if that, that happened on a Sunday night and late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, uh, I get a direct message on Twitter from Sint Marshall has sent you a direct message. And the person who offered and said, we're empty nesters. You guys come can come stay at our house. And 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 I and I thanked her enough and insurance had finally gotten around to approving a hotel by that point. If you don't know, <laughs> mild bit of annoyance about that. But no, they had finally gotten around to approving a hotel stay. But uh, the person who uh, stepped up to come through and offered Jennifer and I a place to stay when our home, you know, when we when we had a, a piece of tarp for a roof for, for on half of our home for a roof for about six days, uh, that was the person who stepped to the forefront to do that was was sent sending a, a DM saying, hey, come stay at our place. We're empty nesters. I'll make dinner for you guys and all that stuff. So she's just she's she, an amazing person. She's the real deal. And that tornado actually shifted two blocks from her house. Uh, we talked about that as we were standing out there. But she is as genuine as genuine can be. And you, you have strong emotions about that person, which is why I just had diarrhea of the mouth for like 10 minutes talking about her because you feel – uh, very strongly about all these things that are involved in with her and what she represents and how she can help people out. So, yeah, just another example of, of how great she is. And, of course, you couldn't tell, but he uh, Followell, when he was telling that story about Scent in the house, was looking at disdain at me when he knows I have a spare bedroom that was unused <laughs> and I never, I never offered that at all. As a matter of fact, I explicitly said you can't stay here. <laughs> Got the keys changed. Follow well, too bad. Um, I do want to touch on a little b-ball as uh, we do hope to have, um, I guess, kind of a mini camp here starting on the 22nd and then uh, around the 7th 
to the ninth uh, staggered kind of uh, check-in in Orlando and then games, as, as Mark mentioned, on the 31st. Um, Where's your head about how this Mavs team is going to look? Obviously, KP and Luca have been overseas. They're going to get here in the next week or so. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, do you see benefits of them being a young team? Uh, Luca and KP had finally started clicking. Are you worried that maybe that's going to take, you know, some time to, to gel again? Where's your head at with, with basketball? Okay, so that's, I love that question. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about what our thoughts were when this thing first happened. And I remember my first thought was, okay, they'll shut it down for three weeks. And when they come back, we're going to be healthy again. Yay Mavericks. And now it's like, God, man, KP had so much going. That was positive. Maybe he's completely back. Right. And they're going to, you know, hit the ground running and, and, and not miss a beat. Uh, obviously we're not going to have Jalen Brunson and he's been an important part of this thing, but the the overall health of the ten and we know Dwight Powell is not going to play till next season. But the guys that were having the nagging injuries, that's going to be fully back. And the other thing is, I don't know how you guys felt, but I never imagined Tim Hardaway Jr. was going to be as good as he was this year. No question. And I think one like, of the biggest stories for the team all year, finding him in that role and getting him to be that successful. And and so think about this, guys. If you were to go into last year, we already had in our minds what Tim Hardaway Jr. was. And we already had in our minds what Dorian Finney-Smith was. And we already had in our minds what Maxi Kleba was. And not that they were bad. They were, hey, they're good players. But if we were talking about what this team really needs, we would have – and forget the names, right? The, the names of those people. We're talking about a position. We need a third scoring option that can create his own shot behind KP and Luka. And man, we need some versatile three and D guys that can knock down open shots and take the toughest defensive assignments. So that's what we need. Are you? Is, can anybody out there make an argument that Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, and Maxi Kleba didn't fill those roles to a T? You can argue that Dorian and Maxi were two of the best top ten three and D guys in the league, and Tim Hardaway Jr. was exceptional. So. I'm I'm optimistic that when they get back to playing, that those guys fall right back into what they're doing. And KP looks like the guy he was the last couple of weeks. And then you have an extraordinary, exceptional player in Luka. Seth Curry is healthy and spreading the floor, spacing the floor. So I feel really good about this. And then when you factor in, there ain't no expectations for the Mavs. And it's a nutty situation as it is. Man, I feel as good about what that situation could be as I possibly could. I, I don't know. Are you guys worried about it? You know, I think you hit the nail on the head with what you were saying about, um, you know, Maxi and Dorian and Tim. Because, you know, listen, we went into this offseason. We knew that that those were the holes that needed to be filled around our big two. And if we're playing KP at the five kind of for the crunch time or the big minutes, especially with Pal out. Um, right. Listen, Maxi is great at the four in that in that role. You know, he 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 his defense is great. He's hitting the shots um, with Dorian hitting at the rate he's been hitting this year. Uh, he's a three and D stud. And you mentioned Tim. I mean, everybody talks about well, who's going to be that third piece? Do we need to? What do we need to go get? Somebody's going to have to take that job from one of those three guys. Right. Right. 
No, I agree. I, I, the, the Tim Hardaway Jr. story has been incredible. And, 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 you know, you have a tendency to slot certain guys. And I had slotted Tim Hardaway Jr. as volume shooter. A but, you know, it's yeah. great. Yeah, great to have on your team. Like, it's nice to have guys like that. But I didn't look at him as a quote-unquote reliable third option. Now, I thought he was streaky, and I thought he had value and all those kinds of things. But the way that he played was far beyond whatever, you know, I had created in my mind of the type of player. And obviously, context matters. Coaching matters. He's a high-character guy. All of those things matter. But I feel really good about what Tim Hardaway Jr. is, especially on this team. I have two or three basketball uh, questions to ask as well. Number one, last week, and I thought I thought Brian brought up a great point in our podcast last week, Skin. Uh, things have broken really well for the Mavs in terms of how this sets up. Uh, their, their magic number is two, so they don't have any concern. You know, they didn't do this like seven, eight, nine, ten play in. The Mavs at seven are, are you know, a win or two away, obviously, from from getting in and not having to worry about the play-in. So that's good. But also this, this uh, you know, the loss column looked like that was a real problem for them in terms of trying to get up out of seven had the season been an 82-game season and everybody plays the same number of games. Now the way it's breaking uh, they could, even though they're three back in the loss column of Houston and Oklahoma City, they only have to have a a record of like two games better. They could go six and two, and if OKC or Houston go four and four, Dallas could leapfrog them and get a little bit higher up and potentially into a more favorable matchup. So, so number one, I think that's. Do you agree that uh, the way this thing broke for the Mavs and and the uh, the oddball setup of it, whatever you want to call it, it, it's it certainly worked out advantageously for them. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, you know, okay. the, the the other thing, too, and I want to say this is, I, I don't know where you guys found this, you know, I think there's there's house money going on here, but the one team I don't want to play is the Clippers. Like, Clippers. I think that's the best team in the NBA. I want nothing to do with them, and I sure as hell don't want anything to do with them after those guys have been sitting around resting all this time. I want nothing to do with the Clippers. I agree 100%. And so any, any situation you can create – to move up in the standings and not have to deal with them is an ideal situation as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so Skin, at the start of the season, I, I said this on Media Day when when Chuck Cooperstein and I did uh, interviews and, and, and streamed him from, from Media Day. My hope for the season was, you know, obviously the Mavericks make the playoffs and then anything else is gravy at that point because Luka and Porzingis need to experience NBA playoff basketball. Even if it's a sweep, they just need those games so that's part of their life cycle and growth as players so now given that what is going to be nba playoff basketball is something entirely different from an atmosphere standpoint than it's ever ever been i mean do you what do you feel that they learn from it that they take away from it i mean what's your expectation for how those playoff games the level of competition what that whole scene's like going to be in orlando what's your what's your vibe about playoff games and what it's going to mean, not just for the Mavericks, but how they're going to look in general to compare to what we're used to seeing when it comes to NBA playoff games. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question because it's, it's just so difficult to tell what that environment is. In other words, if we're saying, Hey, one of the benefits of, you know, making the playoffs is they're going to experience that playoff atmosphere. Is this going to be a playoff atmosphere where you hear sneakers squeaking? I mean, this is going to be really abstract. And one wild element to this is, is a player like Luca 
that has played overseas in some weird situations that are atypical from the NBA, that give him a slight advantage in this weird, uh, unusual situation that other NBA players are going to be like, what the hell are we doing? I don't know. You know, maybe not. I, I think like whatever traditional value we would say out of going to the playoffs for the first time and experiencing that, I don't know that you're going to experience that. I can't imagine a scenario where you're playing in front of the amount of people you're playing from in any way doesn't, I mean, the closest thing you can compare it to is a summer league game that doesn't matter at all. Like in terms of an environment, it is such a weird environment. It's going to be like a city league. You know what I'm saying? If you guys have ever gone to like a really good city league game, like when the Mavericks were playing the Lakers in uh, 2011, our good buddy uh, Ireland over with the Lakers gave me and Ben some passes to the LA Fitness Club. And and there's high-level games over there, like Baron Davis plays in those games. And so it's like a running clock. It's going to be – it's going to be almost like that atmosphere because it's such a weird environment. So whatever we had hoped for at the beginning of the year, like you're talking about gaining that experience, I don't know. I don't know that it translates. There's pressure, right? Cause you want to win in advance, but it's such a weird environment. I don't know that you get that standard kind of benefit, but I will say in terms of advancing, I think it's, I don't want to say it gives the Mavericks an advantage, but I think whatever, advantage older veteran teams would have in the playoffs. I think it's eliminated in this environment. I just think it's too weird. Uh, and weird's not the word. I think it's too unusual to have those standard translations of here's the way the playoff works, work in the favor of a veteran team. I just don't think it's going to go down like that. Well, I would say I would leave us all with this and, and you know, this skin from watching practices, Brian saw practices whenever he worked with the Mavericks in his role as uh, director of analytics. Uh, the one thing I would say, because uh, uh, that's kind of what I envisioned these games like, not, not necessarily practices, but when a practice happens and the red, the, the blue team faces the white team, we'll use Maverick colors. And, and whenever it's the first string guy, the starters against the, the guy six through 10, for example, on the, on the depth chart, even though Rick would object to me using that terminology, but, but you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah, there, there is a tremendous level of competitiveness and energy, but, and, and it's not just trash talking, it's communicating, uh, with the players on the floor. Uh, it's encouragement from the players who aren't participating in the game, but are very, very encouraging. It's energy from the coaches who are encouraging and coaching and correcting and supporting. Um, there, there is in a five on five, full-on scrimmage situation in an NBA practice, man, the energy of that is very, very high level. And so that Mm -hmm. is kind of what I'm envisioning some of these experiences being like. I think it's going to be really eye-opening if you've never seen anything like that before. Uh, You know, whether or not that'll translate on TV, I don't know. But that's just kind of the... That that's the that's the vision I have for what it's going to look like. And I think it's it's going to be intriguing from that regard. No, I I think you're right. You know what? The other thing, too, is is we have something that kind of tangible that's all front of mind you guys remember those scenes in the last dance those games they organized on the set of space jam like the level of competition or they were showing some of that classic footage of those dream team practices Monte Carlo right? practice yeah yeah no i think that's a great reference point follow well i think i think you're right because the competition level is going to be intense 
These are the best in the world going at it. And it's going to be very personal because of all that sound that won't be there. And, you know, we can talk about piping in sound. You know what piping in sound doesn't pipe in is visceral energy. A crowd has a crowd puts off of visceral energy and that will be vacant. Uh, so whatever uh, fills that up, whether it's the bench like you're talking about or, you know, just the way a voice echoes in a gym. If you've ever, you know, gone and played in any, you know, rec league games or anything like that. Like I've been in, I've been in those gyms before where there's a couple courts and two dudes start fighting two games over and dude, it, it's all over the building. Like you hear it. You, so it'll be just a, it's just a different energy. It'll be a non-traditional energy. And so that feel that that home crowd thing, that's gone, baby. That's a, that's a, I will, We'll see how it plays out. I can't imagine you can replicate that in any way whatsoever. I'm, I'm quite frankly, I'm excited by all this. We're about to witness something we have never witnessed with the the best teams. This is going to be really unique and fun to watch unfold. Well, it is going to be fun to watch, and it has been fun to talk to you and a pleasure to speak with you and to hear your perspective on all things that we have discussed today. It's been fantastic, and we can't thank you enough for joining the podcast, and we'll do it again. And and you and uh, you and Damaris will be back together, I'm sure, on the pre- or post-game coverage on Fox Sports Southwest in the not-too-distant future. Well, one of the things I did, you know, we talk about what's needed to, to – uh juice up the broadcast i did suggest replacing Followell with inflatable mavs man so maybe maybe my dream of that will come true all things man, are on the great. I'd, I'd rather be Otto from airplane if you guys remember remember that character uh hey uh keep a quick thing before I, I jump off here number one thank you for letting me talk so damn much i apologize i get long-winded you know you get into these things you just go oh my god i've been talking for a half hour haven't i um but the other thing is it feels really good to be a guest on a podcast that you actually listen to. And I love your podcast. So thank you guys for having me. Thank you so yeah, much. We, we appreciate that endorsement, my friend. And uh, great to talk to you. And I'll see you face to face real soon. See you soon, boys. Wow. What a great discussion with uh, Jeff Skin Wade of the Bennett Skin Show, 2 to 5 on the Eagle. Uh, really insightful comments about his discussion with Scent yes. and um, how sports can really be a megaphone for all of us to figure out what we want to do. I think a lot of us want to take action, but sports can be a really great tool, and I know you've mentioned this a lot, to mm-hmm. uh, to spur us on to action and, um, and, and also healing from this kind of coronavirus, giving us something fun to pay attention to. Yeah, you know, as I, as I noted last week, I'm not naive enough to think that uh, sports is the cure-all and the fix-all. But, you know, as noted last week, we discussed uh, it is a great teacher and it does provide a great life lesson of people from diverse backgrounds coming together and forging a bond and building friendships and brotherhoods within the locker room, men and women. Uh, and then going on to achieve a common goal or attempting to achieve a common goal and working together. And, and as I noted, you know, I've been blessed to do a lot of different sports and, and obviously see it with uh, basketball and the diversity that, ex- that exists in soccer. Uh, and by the way, soccer now in America on its way back with Major League Soccer announcing their return 
to play plan coming up in July. And uh, from a college football perspective as well, all of those uh, sports lend themselves to that life lesson of what it's like to have a, a group of diverse young men or young women from different backgrounds come together and work together to achieve something positive. So, uh, you know, we're on that road with the NBA coming back uh, July the 31st. So let's get to uh, some of the dates. Shams from The Athletic uh, yes. tweeted out um, some specifics about the schedule. And uh, what are those dates that we have going forward? Well, so now keep in mind that we're looking at a July 31st, again, uh, start to the season. Now, one thing that uh, Sham Sharania shared uh, several days ago, and nothing uh, from the league has come down that's official on this, but um, there will be two or three preseason games. Uh, now, what that's going to look like relative uh, to That'll what, be during uh, July before the 31st. Yep. Yep. Because remember, uh, I believe that you said last week that the target date to get teams in Orlando is July the 9th. Is that 7th correct? 7th to the 9th. It's going to be a staggered kind of check-in so that not all uh, all the 22 teams are not coming the same day. Uh, that's very smart. So they're going to yeah. have a three-day kind of uh, uh, rolling check-in. Oh, okay. And all then right. there's going to be, uh, I believe, a seven-day kind of quarantine period Mm -hmm. so that there's not going to be anything going on then for another week. So around the 16th is when you're going to see, um, you know, camp and those from the 16th to 31st will be the camp and preseason games. So then the regular season games will start on the 31st. And then as Shams noted on Monday, the play in tournament games will be on August 16th and 17th. Now, remember, yeah, if necessary, that's a good point. Remember that uh, there could be playing tournaments for the eighth seed. Uh, The eighth versus the ninth seed will happen in the West and the East if the ninth place team is four games or closer to the eighth place team. If the gap between eighth and ninth is more than four games, there won't be a play-in tournament. The team that's in eighth will will get the eighth seed. Uh, certainly, I think there's a strong likelihood that that's going to happen. Um, uh, in the Western Conference, the East, probably, uh, you know, who knows on that side of it, since there's only one team there, and is Washington going to be good enough to make up ground on either Brooklyn or Orlando? But I think the way things look like in the West to me, I would certainly be shocked if there wasn't a play-in tournament on the West side of things. Uh, I'm sure the league probably is hoping that as well, and they're hoping that uh, New Orleans is is uh, the team yes. that would be in there because of Zion. Uh, so the 16th and the 17th, Brian, is the play-in tournament. First round NBA playoff games will start on August 18th in Orlando. So that does mean that the regular season eight games pretty much every other day. Yeah, you're going to have two weeks. Matter of fact, uh, I can't remember where else I saw this. There's been a lot of information, but basically the plan is that teams will have to play one back to back. That's it. There will be one back to back that every team will have to play. But and I believe that if a team goes all the way to you know, plays game seven in every series, they would have to play 38 games in 74 days or so. So generally we're looking at an every other day kind of schedule. So July 31st to August 15th is the regular season. The 16th and the 17th, if necessary, is the play-in tournament. The 18th is the start of the first round. September 1st is the start of the second round. September 15th will be the beginning of the conference finals. And September 30th is scheduled to be NBA Finals Game 1. And just a quick note, by the way, I'm broadcasting about that. Uh, I think you and I both have seen Kevin Harlan, uh, the, the outstanding TNT announcer, make uh, mention of the fact somebody asked him for a podcast or an interview of some sort about what uh, they would be doing. 
And uh, he said they'll be doing uh, games from Atlanta to begin with. I thought national broadcasters would probably be on the scene for the conference finals and the finals. And it sounds like that's what's going to happen. Obviously, when we're doing our games on Fox Sports Southwest and other regional broadcast uh, RSNs and things like that for the regular season games and the first round of the playoffs. We won't be on hand. Uh, you know, nobody's officially announced that, but I think it's just kind of assumed that that's going to be the case. There's no reason to believe that we uh, wouldn't do it that way. And everything I'm hearing is precisely that. But uh, from a national broadcast perspective, uh, it does sound like there will be on-site announcers once they get to the conference finals and to the finals. So we will have Mavericks basketball for the entire month of August for sure. Yes, yes. Which is going to be really odd and fun and and unique. And I think as we record this on the 10th and post it, uh, you know, on the evening of the 10th, um, when we talk to you in a week, I would expect Luca and KP to be back in Dallas. The latest on Luca, I'm hearing, by the way, is that uh, I guess there was a report that came uh, out that there was a uh, concern isn't the right word, but I guess people were wondering what kind of condition he's in. But uh, it's a it, loss in translation it, kind of scenario. It, yes, that's exactly right. So so the news that that has basically come out, which is that uh, folks in so- Slovenia said context was lost in translation. Luca's conditioning coach simply meant to say he's not in game shape yet, which is to be expected. Luca will need to play five on five basketball with his team to get into proper game shape. So obviously, yeah, and I believe the, go the initial Orlando. quote was, you know, he's not in great shape yet or something like that. But uh, it shouldn't mean anything like, you know, he's been working out regularly. Um, but yeah, so you wouldn't expect him or anybody to be in game shape right now. No, no. I mean, I think that I've made mention of this on podcast several times that you and I have recorded that I did a thing with Maxi Kleba where uh, until the Mavericks opened the practice gym up a few weeks ago, I mean, he lives in an apartment in Uptown and, and because of, uh, you know, shelter in place concerns and just basically, uh, you know, there was no need to take a risk. And it's not, and and by the way, they would you couldn't go shoot at a park for a while because uh, and that still may be the case around town that like hoops have no. You on can finally now. shoot. There's one you right can. across the street from my uh, mansion, and uh, <laughs> Damaris Manor with the moat. But uh, yes, you can finally shoot hoops. But in Maxie's case, it, it yeah. may benefit him because his shot was hurting there towards the end. No, I love you, Maxie, but. Uh, yeah, but for over two, yeah, for over two months, I mean, he was not in a position to shoot. He was in a position to do workouts at his house, but he was not in a position to shoot. But speaking of shooting and looking good doing it, one thing that you alerted me to was to go check out the Instagram story, the video that Kristaps Porzingis posted. And by the way, it was posted while he's in Latvia. So we we know as of Saturday when you alerted me to this, that he still hadn't made his way back to the States yet. We assume that's going to happen any day, as you noted a moment ago. 15th but, is the target date for international players yeah. to come back. But dude, I mean, outside of the fact that he had Washington Redskins gear on, which, you know, he is a Redskins <laughs> fan for, for, for whatever reason reason uh but uh, outside of that man I, I know you saw the video as well he looked really good yeah he he posted another pick what he called his selfie of the week yesterday and he looks in the same rock solid shape that he was yeah. in uh so you know the, the timeline is i believe um they can report full teams can report on the 21st of the practice facilities they'll have uh you know testing done on the 22nd mm-hmm. i think and it'll be every other day until they get to Orlando, and it's every day. And then, as we mentioned, the 22nd to the 7th will be 
the the mini camp here in town right before they to head to Orlando um, with uh, a traveling party of I believe thirty five mm-hmm. um, and and I believe that all the medical uh, you know the medical medical manifesto is due out this week of all the protocols uh, has the MLS since they will also be playing in Disney the same place basically yes. except obviously in the outdoor fields. Did they release today anything on their medical protocols? They did not. Uh, not that I saw anyway. Um, you know, one of the things that most recently has happened with Major League Soccer is that last week they announced that teams could start uh, training, full, have full team training. However, what they first had to do was submit their plan for how they were going to do that to the league. And then league medical staff would approve what teams were doing on a on an individual team basis. Uh, you know, from our local perspective, FC Dallas had to stop their small team training sessions while they sorted out a situation where they had a player uh, that, that, you know, the identity of this player has never been made public, but one player did test positive for COVID-19. So at this point, uh, specifics that I'm aware of anyway with uh, Major League Soccer as it relates to health protocols and how they'll approach things those have it uh been made public that i'm aware of and then as as you noted brian uh you know we'll learn uh, well, a whole lot more about what the nba's plans are but look i think you said it very well last week um you know obviously the, this is going to be a challenge and it's it's uncharted territory to say the least however um you know i, I think you and i have the utmost confidence uh that all of the athletic performance Folks like Casey Smith with the Mavericks, athletic trainers, uh, everybody around the league is going to work, uh, has already worked and shared best practices and will put in countless hours to make sure that uh, while nothing can be perfect in this particular situation in terms of foolproof, uh, this is going to be about as good as you can get in terms of what they're going to do for medical protocols and uh, as safe is safe clearly as realistically possible. Yeah, I think unlike what you see in other sports where the league just says, here's what we're going to do, um, like everything the NBA does, this is a collaborative effort so that yeah, people like point. Casey have been you know, on committees that are suggesting things. And, and so when it comes out, you know, it won't be a surprise to the teams that this is going to be the plan. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm most interested in, and I know this is something that you mentioned to me off air, was uh, – you know, how the Nookie girls were going to get snuck in and out of the bubble. <laughs> I don't remember we had that discussion, actually. <laughs> but you were you were very concerned with that and wondering how that was going to be, uh, you know, if you, you're going to be on TMZ refreshing to see the latest. Uh, I don't get on TMZ very often, so I, I, for, for whatever reason, I don't remember that's that gonna discussion. Be a, that's going to be a lucrative uh, business for somebody, a shipment of girls in and out of the, the Walt Disney campus. 1600, by the way, from uh, one of the things that Shams had. I was mentioning earlier some of the things that Shams uh, uh, Sharani from The Athletic has talked about recently in terms of uh, what he's aware of as it relates to how the setup's going to go down in Orlando. And we mentioned that two to three uh, preseason games. And with that tweet from a few days ago, uh, he also said that uh, 1600 people was... So let's see. So 35 people per team of a traveling party. So that right there puts you at 1,050. And then you're going to have to have referees and game Game ops personnel. uh, Key broadcast people. And also, you know, the initial report was they're going to need 15,000 tests for the duration because, you know, uh, food prep, cleaning staff, the hotel employees, they're going to be tested as well every day. So that the players feel comfortable getting their rooms clean, getting their food 
serve to them and mm-hmm. and uh it's going to be a little different for some because you know you have certain players uh this is not really the case on the Mavs as much but certain players who have entourages in terms of you know personal trainers and personal chefs and they want their agent or they want their you know personal security detail and, and that's just not going to be able to to happen there it is uh it is going to be an adjustment for everyone needless to say but uh you know i think uh you know as it gets closer it still seems kind of far away right now but but i think once some practices start happening uh here in town and the little mini camp they have before they go to orlando it's going to start uh it's going to start feeling real uh it's an exciting time it's a strange time, no question about it, and and you know what uh, what this experience has been like is something uh, we'll we'll all look back and and clearly never forget. But um, you know, um, I'm glad that that we're inching ever closer to it, and it's really going to make for uh, an amazing July, August, September, October period, not just of NBA basketball, but NHL, Major League Soccer starting back up. Uh, It does look like there will be college football in the NFL, uh, a lot of golf events that have been postponed or ended up going to be playing. I mean, by golf events, I mean, big time golf majors and things like that are going to end up being played in the late summer and early fall and in a part of the calendar when they aren't typically played. So, uh you know, cross your fingers that everything's going to keep on working out because uh, the the void that we've had in the sports world uh, is is really going to change in terms of how much is going to be compressed into uh, windows that they're not typically compressed into whenever things get back up and rolling here in a few weeks. And I think the Mavs really can, you know, everybody's in the same boat. Um, this can really be a great team bonding time because yeah. obviously, you know, in a regular playoff series, you're, you're, you're on the road and that's where the bonding happens. That's where, you know, you can have even a social distancing environment. You can still hang out. You can get a ballroom and, and, and have movie time or dinners yeah. or what have you. And a social distancing environment isn't going to stop the uh, hijinks that go on on the bus yeah. on the way to and from practice right. or to and from games, you know? Yeah. That always, you know, one of my favorite stories that you mentioned, uh, uh, several weeks ago on the podcast was Dirk always giving you a hard time about how brutal your suits were, <laughs> which they are brutal. Yeah. Or uh, stop tweeting about soccer. You don't know blank about it. So <laughs> <laughs> that was another one that was yelled from the back of the bus one time. <laughs> Follow Will, stop tweeting about soccer. You don't know anything about it, except it was said a little more colorfully than that. <laughs> I agree with him on that. <laughs> But you're going to be quite busy because you'll have FC Dallas and Mavs duty. So the two days on the Katy Trail, uh, uh, I think your six pack abs well, are, may take a beating. You know, I don't, I don't know how the whole thing is going to happen. It sounds like that this this tournament with Major League Soccer is uh, that's. I don't think that's going to be a local broadcast thing. I think that's going to be that they, this is something they're doing that's unique to kind of uh, you know play games in that environment. Uh, in a controlled environment and then assess where they are in August. So, you know, Major League Soccer is having this tournament that's going to be kind of like a mini World Cup, I guess would be the best way to describe it. There's going to be group stage and then knockout stage. And that's going to go from July the 8th to August 11th down there in Orlando. And then after August 11th, the uh, the league has not divulged what the plans are, but then they'll restart the seasons. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it may be in home stadiums. Uh, in the case of teams that are in Texas, FC Dallas, obviously, and 
and Houston Dynamo. Um, and I'm sure we'll see this. Uh, this could happen in Florida whenever, if Orlando City wanted to do that, or the new Miami team. You know, you can start having fans now at outdoor sporting events. So we'll, uh, you know, we may see that later on this year in Major League Soccer. They might be, uh, you know, having having fans in in stadiums at certain games. I don't know. There's still a lot to figure out. But so I, but, but but my my opinion my uh, observation or what I've heard, Brian, is I don't think I'm going to be doing any uh, any of those. Those are not going to be local broadcast games. Those uh, those FC Dallas games that are going to be part of that uh, tournament that MLS is going to play in Orlando. Now you've been to this wide world of sports. You broadcast from there for a few years for some junior NBA. Junior NBA, yes, on on Fox Sports. So there's one arena that seats I don't know a couple thousand, right? Um, it's a big arena and, and you can put three, you can have three or four courts operating within this arena. Okay. And, and, and in terms of seating capacity, I I don't mean to like not answer your question. It's just, it's fluid depending on how they set the courts up. But, 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 you know, like one court could have, uh, movable bleachers, retractable bleachers where several hundred, you know, it looks, it's kind of like, looks like what you would have said at at your high school gym. Okay. Uh, it's It's a much nicer gym than that, but in terms of seating arrangements, it's retractable bleachers where a few hundred, uh, conceivably a few thousand people, depending on what the event was down there, but they have a downstairs and, and, and a downstairs where there's a court, a downstairs where there's locker rooms and referee dressing rooms, et cetera. And then, uh, an upstairs portion where more courts could be and this but in the basketball arena are the hotels walking distance or they'd be shuttles for the players um if what has been reported is true and coronado springs is what the uh what the the resort is going to be that's going to host the players then they would have to shuttle and how long is that a few minutes okay so what, the reason i bring that up is something i heard today which i thought was an interesting thing i hadn't thought of is that players could conceivably uh, if they're social distancing, go to other games that they're not in. Yeah, yeah. And that would kind of be a fun twist and, and add a, a cool environment to see, you know, LeBron and, yep. and you know, maybe 100 players or so watching mm-hmm. a game. It's interesting you brought that up. I thought that very thing, that I thought that might be something um, that could be... And with team personnel and everybody, I mean, you could conceivably have a 1,000 people watching, or not a 1,000, but maybe... You know, a couple hundred, few hundred people watching a game. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that could be. I, I wonder if that's going to be part of how you'll do some things to create some atmosphere at the games. And uh, I mean, you want to talk about something that's going that would that if, if there was any doubt that the energy was would not be amped up. I mean, you want to get it amped up energy for the guys on the floor. Know that like a hundred other guys from around the league right. are watching and right. saying things yes. and talking and and uh, and you and mentioned it with skin yeah. and, and I've been there in September when they just have open gym and you see all the NBA players who are in town that come in not just Mavs but any NBA you know, every yeah. every city does that they have open gym no no coaches allowed but anybody who's in town can play in those pickup games mm-hmm. those are intense games so yes, they are you know I think this environment where they're going to be in the playoffs or playing each other on an equal field. And again, that added thing of, oh, okay, I know people are watching kind of nebulously by the millions when it's a normal playoffs, but to know that, oh, there's, you know, people I respect and, and they're hooting and hollering or doing whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a cool little added thing I didn't really think about. Yep. Yep. I, I, I think that that will be, there are, 
if they use the building and use it the way that I've seen it used in junior NBA tournaments that they played down there, there will be courts upon which that will be harder to do than others. There's really like one main court where the retractable bleachers could be used enough that you could really do that successfully and get a higher number. Uh, if you did it on one of the upstairs courts, space is limited. Retractable bleacher situation is limited. You could do it, but you'd have a lot less you have a lot fewer people there, but I think that's a great idea that you brought up. I thought the same thing that that's uh, that's certainly a way that could enhance the environment down there. Well, we look forward to it. I think, uh, you know, short term, we should expect, you know, hopefully some word about the return of, of uh, Luca and KP. And uh, in about a week and a half, we would have, um, you know, training camp opening up here in Dallas. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I guess one thing that's happened since the last podcast that you and I recorded did you uh, did you hear about the you know the NBA as the NBA and the Players Association are just about over the finish line on their 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 protocols? I guess one of the things that was interesting that came up on the Players Association conference call about approving the rest- return to play plan was there is some reluctance uh, for such a quick start date for next season. Yes, and that yeah. is obviously, you know, when you have uh, CP3 and LeBron in leadership positions with the association, I don't think LeBron is technically a leadership association leadership anymore, but he was. Uh, those people who expect to play late into October, or till the middle of October, hopefully, right, are the ones most concerned with starting up on December 1st. But they're also the people that want to play in the Olympics for the reasons of, frankly, selling sneakers yes. in that market. Right. Um so they're going to they're gonna have to pick a side here, and I think where it's going to end up is um, more back-to-backs and a more condensed schedule next season. By condensed, do you just mean more back-to-backs, or do you actually mean like a lower number of games? I don't think you'll see a lower number of games. Okay. I think you'll see because condensed, they- meaning uh, more games in a shorter period of time. Yeah. Well... That's, uh, you know, which has obviously been something that the league has been, uh, you know, working away from uh, in past years. I mean, I think they're very proud of the fact that this year they had the league average back to back for teams was down to about 12 or 13 uh, over the course of the season. Uh, That may not that number may have to jump up. But, uh, you know, everybody understands that uh, these are these are unprecedented times. I mean, if they want to be done by the Olympics, which is mid-July, you know, (laughs) they have to do it somehow. Yeah. And and the players also don't want to play less games because that's less revenue and less lower cap. The other piece of news, which we surmised, but is that winning percentage is going to be the determinant for seating, which as we mentioned with skin is beneficial to Mavs because, uh, you know, there are three back in the loss column. And so that, that, that point is no is is no longer an issue. You hit the number last week uh, for the Mavs. They've just got to be two games better, uh, whatever that is, than Houston or Oklahoma City to be able to to move up a spot. And who knows what's going to happen with the Clippers? By the way, it's not uh, nothing is set in stone that they're going to be two. That's just where they are right now. And Dallas is seven. And I'm with Skin. Um, you know, I know that uh, we're we're it's way too early to be talking about this. I mean, these matchups won't be happening for over two months still yet. But the idea of playing the Clippers in under any scenario, even this, uh, you know, never been done before uh, being done out of necessity thing in Orlando, uh, playing the Clippers is is just not a very good, you know, to me anyway, not a very good scenario for the Mavs. I would I would like for it to be someone of the Denver, Utah ilk. Something yeah, like with all sure. due with all due respect to those teams, of course, but you know, would rather it be somebody. no question. Yeah, from, I agree from, that the Clippers are the best team in the league. And uh, the other issue is, you know, it's been a week now 
six days since we've uh, you know known officially that this was going to be the plan, uh, we still haven't seen a schedule release. So that's kind of the next big domino to fall to find yep. what exactly are the games the Mavs are going to be playing out of the uh, 15 that they had left. They're going to what? Which eight are they going to be? Uh, yes, yeah, and hopefully. Uh We'll uh, be able to break that down next time we join. Next time we join our uh, good listeners here on 77 Minutes in Heaven. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, we will be back next week.